Welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the Aquarius Podcast is sponsored by Awaza, the global leader in water gardening technology. Awaza is a relatively new entrant into the indoor aquatic space, and they're doing all us hobbies a favor by stepping into an already competitive market and raising the bar with excellent products that have innovative features. One of the coolest features to the Awaza line of power filters is seamless built-in heater integration. So if you've been looking for a way to step up your aquarium filtration and hide your heater without going the sump route, then I highly recommend you check out Awaza's Biomaster canister filters and BioPlus internal filters. That's Biomaster canister filters and BioPlus internal filters. Learn more by checking out awaza-livingwater.com. That's O-A-S-E-livingwater.com. I will also have this link in the show notes for quick access. Now, on to the interview. All right, well, we'll just see. Today's date is Tuesday, March 19th, 2019. This is the Aquarius Podcast featuring the Cory Chronicles. This is volume number two of the Cory Chronicles. The people have spoken. The outpouring of comments on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Podbean. It was overwhelming. <laughs> Shut down the server. The people spoke and they wanted more Cory McElroy. And it is McElroy. It is somebody, McElroy. Somebody thought it might be Mick, McElroy. No. McElroy. All right. So we just got done at a um, at a fish wholesaler. So it's uh, it's Tuesday afternoon, four fourteen local time. Uh, we're headed to go get some milk to go get some milkshakes. But we figured, hey, let's go ahead and do episode number two of the Corey Chronicles on the Aquarius podcast. So what are we gonna talk about? You said you had questions about big fish. Big fish. All right. So in a previous life, not even so much in a previous life, but in a different time of your Aquarius journey, um, you've kept monster fish. Uh-huh. All right. And so would you classify the Datnoid as a monster fish? Yeah. At 18 inches, they're pretty big. Okay. They get 18 inches long and like 10 inches tall and four inches thick. Okay. So what, what is the allure and like, I guess, what drove you to, to wanting a Datnoid? And even then, as we're walking through the wholesaler, um, you, you know, you're you're captivated you're very intrigued by those fish so um maybe a little bit of an overview on what exactly did it for you for to keep those guys so one they're kind of expensive like they'd be eight nine hundred dollars for the big ones and like they were very popular on monsterfishkeepers.com and they what i like about them is they don't kill other fish they swallow fish so as long as you kept them with other large fish they're not aggressive and they've got this cool like tiger stripe pattern. They look really cool with clown loaches and they can be kept with clown loaches and they take forever to grow. So when you have one that's really big, you know, you're like, wow, that guy's been growing it or girl's been growing it for like 12 years. And so it's like almost like a status symbol. Whereas like an arowana, for instance, you could have one that's three feet and you're like, yeah, it's only three years old. Like it's not nearly as much of a time commitment. So getting those big ones, that's why they were worth so much money is because no one wanted to sell them. It took forever. They'd be a little bit finicky, you know, getting them to Turn eat right when they're young and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I just... And they were, like, even at two inches, even at two inches, um, they'd be, like, 50 bucks or more. Like, they weren't cheap fish. And so you'd get this little two-inch thing, and a year later you're up to four inches, and you feel awesome. And you're feeding this thing your entire wallet In half a and mile. trying to make sure it doesn't get beat up. But it was kind of the challenge, I think, is what made them so cool. And what kind of diet does it have? Do you, do you need to do um, more live foods? Is it um, you know more higher proteins? Do you need to get in some, yeah. some greens in there? So they're an ambush predator, so they are protein. And usually you, when you get them from a store, they're eating like live black worms, maybe frozen. And then like the Ultima is like, oh, I got my datanoid pellet train finally. And so once you got them on pellets, it kind of became a lot easier.
but they didn't take to that very easy at all because they were a lot of more wild caught and that kind of stuff. So it was it was it was something. And then there's the whole thing. There's a whole other thing when it comes to datinoids where are they stable? And what that means is their coloration is it stable or are they constantly stressed out? And so if they're constantly stressed out, then um, they're going to look kind of washed out and their bars won't look quite right. And you have things called the wide bar datinoid, the skinny bar datinoid. Like there's one with like the extra stripe. Turn left to I for east. Let's see if I can turn this GPS down. But there's all these little variations. Kind of like clown loach is how you get the different patterns. They have an extra stripe. Is it a keyhole pattern? Is it a puzzle piece pattern? Like when you're kind of come obsessed with the fish like all these little nuances mean a lot to the different people collecting them and pining after them so it's kind of like when you're a car enthusiast and you know that that car is limited edition because they never made that car in that color except for like the pre-launch edition type of deal so it's like its own little subculture and how do you think that that culture that subculture of datinoid keeping do you think it has it fallen off a little bit um in my first foray into fish keeping in you know the mid early early mid 2000s like monster fish keepers was definitely a, a site that i was constantly on i love seeing these massive projects that people were undertaking building out entire you know shark tanks in their basement mm -hmm. like that was so cool to see do you see datinoids as still being a popular fish or do you think that it's been a little bit on the decline well, I think I'm not as active in that scene, so I might be inclined to say it is less popular. That being said, it's probably the same popularity, but it didn't weather well through the forums. And, like, overall in that group, I feel like there was a lot of elitism there. And so, um, you know, with that came personalities and conflicts, and you kind of lose sight of why you're doing fish keeping. And I feel like... There's probably just as many datinoids still being sold and people still love them, but now it's not as much of a competition of look how many big datinoids I have compared to you. And it was for a while there, if you didn't have uh, big datinoids and peacock bass and a few other fish, you weren't really doing monster fish keeping. And that became such a cookie cutter setup that I think people burned out on it. And to take a step back, so the datinoid, where is it? Uh, where is it native to? What kind of what kind of a biotope setup would this fish be coming from? This is where I'm always weakest when it comes to fish, and I believe they're from Indonesia. And a lot of them will come from brackish water, like the silver dat uh, is definitely brackish, and there's a few others. Um, but I believe they're an Indonesian fish, and I couldn't tell you specifically like what part or what river, what lake, that mm -hmm. type of thing. Do you know fast water, slow water? I actually true. don't. Okay. I don't know enough. I mean, they're an ambush predator, so I don't think they're in very fast water. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, that has always been a very weak part of mine because the reality is I don't care that much about where they come from in the wild because I'm keeping them in an aquarium. And I care about what they really want in the aquarium. And sometimes if you have no insight to go off of, you look to nature. But if you already have a, a fish that's well-established, why not go with, like, this is the way to keep it in water, in mm -hmm. home? So that's where I always focused. Yeah, my, my personal take, and again, this is something that I love about this hobby, is that there's so many facets and so many angles that you can focus on. Mm -hmm. And in the end, as long as the fish is healthy, right, like, that's going to be number one priority. Yep. But, you know, you can focus real hard on the biotope aspect and create some really cool stuff and have that, you know, spitting image of where a fish might come from, uh, it, you know, checking every parameter box. But at the same time, you can just have a really healthy fish, and it could be in a 
you know, a non-biotech tank, if you will, and still appreciate it just as much as somebody that's that's biasing super hard on the biotech aspect. Yeah. And so for me, that's not even like a poo-poo, you know, it's just, oh, okay, that's cool. I think no I want to say like Sumatarian, mm-hmm. like I can't remember exactly how to say it, but because they're known as the Sumatarian Tiger, there's a few collection locales and that would lend itself more towards the wide body or the thin bar or wide bar, thin bar, and there was a silver. So there was like four or five varieties we could actually get our hands on. And then you'd have the sister species like the Nandus Nandus fish and some of the, uh, like if you really got into those and you had smaller tanks, you'd start getting into uh, Tenopoma leaf fish and the Ansorgies and some of the other like fish that are like sister species kind of. Oh, very cool. So, All right, and so what I want to do is take a, a quick little pause to say that if it sounds different than the previous episode, the recording, I have I've abandoned the giant full-size microphone. Yes. So now Corey and I are both using the same lapel mic, so we're using some Rode Smart Labs, and I'm trying out this new SC6-L. This is by no means an advertisement. I am not being paid by yeah. this Australian company uh, to, to advertise this, but it's recording directly to the iPhone through their app. Um, it's on two separate channels, so hopefully if I need to clean anything up in post, the, that'll be easy. But yeah, I don't look like a nut job holding a microphone with a, uh, a pop filter or a dead cat or whatever the hell it was yeah. that was on, <laughs> on that microphone. It's all the same description. You're just not holding a microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's so a good times. Uh, all right. And so let's talk about uh, giraffe cats. Yeah. So I fell in love with those guys after I fell in love with uh, the and Nigerian catfish. And they're a catfish that get about three feet, the armored cat. And they got these big gnarly spikes on them. And what I liked about them is that they were super gentle and wouldn't kill other fish. Turns out they don't do anything though. <laughs> and so like there's these big logs are like, that thing looks like it'd rip your arm off. Sometimes called the ripsaw catfish. And yet it never did anything. You could go pick it up in the water and it was just super chill. And so then I wanted a, a more active giant catfish that was more laid back. And that was a giraffe catfish. And you know, it's kind of cool like that for some reason I did read into that one, right? Because you want to kind of know like how big is this thing going to get and you know, it lives off hippopotamus poop and that kind of stuff. Like That's so awesome. Yeah, so you learn some crazy stuff like that and it's like this giant vacuum cleaner of a fish that just like substrate goes in and comes out its gills at a million miles an hour. Well, I would guess a hippo is going to be like a horse in that its poop is still very like yeah. fibrous, right? Uh-huh. Okay. So they just follow the hippos around and they go to the bathroom and they're like, oh, let me get some of that. So it's almost like, you know, granted they have that giraffe pattern but it's a shame it's not the hippo catfish yeah yeah so it's yeah the pattern's super cool and you know you kind of get lured in by the dwarf giraffe catfish which still gets very big and uh i just in general i love big fish but i also i I can't stand when fish are like fighting and eating each other or killing each other and so i was always researching what else was big but not troublesome and that was these guys and they ended up being kind of troublesome like I had some with my original Mabu Puffer and that kind of stuff we ended up donating it to a store when when I okay so when I was going to open my store I donated um, my two foot draft cat to another store because I didn't think I could open a store and move and I didn't really wasn't going to move that big tank and we ended up selling that tank off and so interesting story to those people that know the way back the original name or the name of that fish was Dorkula. That's where my wife got the online name Dorkula. And um, And so how did the name Dorkula come about? Because it was just, you know, like, oh, that fish is being such a dork, you know, and then somehow I just, like, Dorkula came about. I don't remember the exact reasoning, like, you know, Count Dorkula or something. And, uh, but it was a super cool fish. We loved it. We we didn't want to get rid of it, but at the same time, a fish that's two feet and, like, 
you know, California burrito size round, like that thing's chunky, eats an insane amount. And it was stealing all the food from the clown loaches and the iridescent sharks I had that were kind of two feet. And then we had the puffer and all that. And it was like, okay, we need to thin some of this down because I can't stay up on the maintenance. And we're moving to a house that wasn't set up for a fish room. So it's not easy to put a six foot by six foot by 18 inch tall tank in someone else's house you're renting, right? Yeah, I was gonna ask. So let's let's kind of dissect that tank a little bit. So I know from watching, and I'm not sure if it, this is a, a, a GSAS member exclusive, so Greater Seattle. No, it's on my, it's yeah. on my YouTube channel so as well. So it, it's the home show, right? Uh -huh. It's yeah. the home show where um, our club once a year, and they just wrap this up. So we should be watching the home show video for 2019, next club meeting, but they go around to club members that want to show off their tanks. And uh -huh. um, I think it's, you know, be it an Aquascape tank or just a really cool big monster fish Whatever tank. Or, or anything, yeah. anything whatever you yeah. members are keeping yeah anything you want to you want to show off and they did they did a surprisingly large number of members it seems like mm -hmm. um so that'll be that'll be cool to see this year but for this particular video though you've got it on your youtube and it's like going way back in the time machine and it's seeing it and it's seeing you keeping this this tank in the garage of the place that you were staying at I'm the probably time, like right? 23 24 at the time you know now i'm 35 it's a long time ago but you haven't aged a day not a day I mean, no yeah i think you, re you regressed I was, actually I was, you know yeah i was i think i was still wearing uh my snail hat i think i had a, the like the baby blue snail hat on that hat is that old yeah wow i don't get rid of a lot of things like it's <laughs> you know you have a custom snail hat and you gotta you know you gotta keep that thing around but uh, which, yeah. which I didn't wash my hands after holding that apple snail. No, you didn't. So did you post that to your Instagram? I did, yeah. Okay, so if you check Aquarium Co-op's Instagram, there's a, there's a picture of me holding a gigantic apple snail, which is illegal in every state but Florida, right? They said one other one, too, which I, I thought it was every state but Florida, but I was corrected. Okay, so it's it's illegal in every state but two. Yeah. Uh, and it's... And it's practically a mystery snail for all intents like and purposes. the size of a baseball. But the size of a baseball. So a mystery snail on steroids. Mm -hmm. And and actually the um, the gal that was helping us at, at the uh, at the wholesaler, she was trying to pull one of the big ones off and I think she kind of fuddled with him a little bit and it gave him time to set his foot. Uh -huh. And so she could not like, you know, not wanting to, to rip him too hard. Like she mm -hmm. couldn't get him off there. And so I was able to, to grab another large one really quick. But I mean, you know, I, I, I wear between a large and an extra large adult glove and I had this thing in my palm and it's, it's massive massive and I've heard from people that keep them that they just mow through plants yeah they do they do mow through plants all right and so so a little bit all right are we should be around we, here somewhere but I haven't I was pulling over until I was gonna say Linda's so. crab shack Linda's crab shack yeah so we're somewhere in Florida off of a uh, Palmer North Palmer Street looking for what are, we, what are we going for milkshakes yeah okay so talk more about that uh that six foot by six foot by 18. so i bought that tank that's kind of a, a weird story do you want to buy that uh, ford emblem fire pit of course i do in front of the i hate my mattress store that's pretty awesome <laughs> next to the, i hate my fire pit what is going on here in florida i don't know drop some comments if you live in, live in florida and you know what stores i'm talking about so i bought this <laughs> big tank so what had happened originally is I couldn't afford a big tank and I knew I was looking for a tank from Mubu Puffer because I wanted to get one. And the guy had to move and you're like, he bought a new house, something like that. And he was selling a tank for $2,000. And at the time I'm making like $11 an hour at a fish store. That doesn't even really cover rent. You know, there's no way I got two grand. And somehow I told him that I, somehow I cobbled up like 700 bucks. And I don't think I had 700 bucks. I think I might've had 500 bucks. And somehow... 
I was like, yeah, but I could borrow 200 bucks for someone if this <laughs> thing ever came through, right? And so weeks and weeks are going by, and he's like, no, nah, man, I can't be taking 700 bucks. Like, I'm going to get the money. And then it was like, well, i got to be out of this house because it sold in like three days. Like, no one else was had the two grand to buy this six foot by five foot front to back by 18 inch tall. It was 305 gallons acrylic tank with a very big stand, and it was super cool. And uh, That's an incredibly unique size. Yeah. Like, six by five, That that is... Yeah, it was a little shy of five. So technically, like the the tank we have Murphy in right now is six foot by four foot by two foot. So it was slightly front to back depth mm-hmm. uh, bigger, but it was you know lower and same four foot tall stand and all that. And so I like rent a U-Haul to pick this thing up, and it's like me and a couple of buddies and him, and the water's already draining everything. We're in his garage, and we lift it up, and it snaps. The entire seam on one of the on one of the long ends, so that five foot front to back, snapped the whole way down, and there was wow. this the most awkward silence ever, <laughs> because that's like all the money in the world I have, and eventually I go like, so what does this mean? Because you know half of it is like, <laughs> do I own this thing yet? Like I haven't handed you money, but that thing literally just snapped a seam, right? And so. After like this more awkwardness, it's like ah oh, maybe I'll just I'll still take it I guess because it's it's still seven hundred dollars is still like the deal of a century right like it's still because I want to say that the tank we have in the store was about five thousand you know so it's still seven hundred dollars a great deal um, you know and it kind of was like you know you can you can repair acrylic and you know like oh I've got an extra piece of acrylic over here like we can make this happen and uh, that was actually how I learned to weld acrylic and everything is. We did do that. We got it, and I think my wife's got some super old pictures of uh, my friend Ben and I, and we've got this thing propped up on its side, and we're learning how to use the... Game game Night Ben? Yeah, Game Night Ben, yeah. Nice. So we're learning how to use uh, Weld On 16 and Weld On 4, because one's very runny, that'll get into the crack, and then one is more of like a a traditional superglue gel. And so we cut this long five-foot strip at an angle. We're going to glue it on the inside, so... On the outside, we fill the crack with the uh, very thin stuff to like, the good news about acrylic is when you do bond it back together, it basically becomes one piece of acrylic mm-hmm. again. And then on the inside, down that whole channel, we put um, the thicker acrylic and then that piece we cut at an angle to just reinforce it so that when we lift that thing back up, it didn't snap again, right? So if the acrylic essentially melds to be to be one piece again, do you think it was just a, a- I mean, I guess it couldn't have been a bad seam to begin with because then the tank would have just busted. I, I have a feeling there was like a stress fracture or mm. something like that and just lifting it up <coughs> was Sorry, enough folks. to send that crack into motion. And then, you know, I used that tank for three, four years after that. Never had a single problem. But it was definitely trial by fire because it was just like there wasn't really any going back. I, don't, I was already rented the U-Haul mm-hmm. and like... Oh, I could probably fix it like I'd researched how to fix acrylic tanks. Like the, I tried to fix an acrylic tank one time before that. It was probably a year before. And uh, it was like a 75-gallon acrylic kind of taller tank. And I tried to use um, the Marine Marineland version of Mighty Putty, essentially. Because it already had fish and it would start leaking. And so there's a two-part epoxy that you can use to put, like, corals and that kind of stuff together in salt water. And it, it worked. It actually... We put enough on there, it finally stopped the leak, but it was so ugly. So how long did you have this tank for, this 6x4? Uh, 
Uh, I think it was like three or four years. Okay. And then what ended up happening with it? Just sold it? We ended up selling it off to uh, a guy I think you would know now, and that is like the the leader of the North Sound Aquarium Society. Um, Nick? Nick, yeah. Oh, okay. I sold it to Nick, and um, so then he had it for a while and all that, and I think he ended up getting rid of it, but... You know, tanks like that, they kind of keep moving around from, like, different hardcore local hobbyists. Like, here's a deal, here's a deal. And I think I got rid of it for same exact price. It was 700 bucks. It came with the lighting and all the other dude and the sump and all the stuff I did. It was one of those, I knew I couldn't really move it, slash, you have to rent a U-Haul just for that thing. So, like, it costs you money just to move it. And I knew that I needed to get, like, a better tank for the store because that footprint didn't really work. And at that time... I had other like acrylic 180 gallon tanks and I had a custom 170 and so they were a better footprint to be in the store and this thing was kind of the odd man out and uh, you know that being said when my 340 gallon glass tank which is in my living room right now is now acrylic when that thing burst uh, we ended up buying a tank that was Murphy's tank as it is now and it was essentially the same size but this one much better build quality and thicker acrylic and you know, never had any cracks or anything like that go on. And Yeah, Jason from Clear Fabrications, who you mm-hmm. featured on your channel and also has been a guest on this podcast, does just artisan work. So we went mm-hmm. back and talked about artisanal. This yes. dude does artisanal, like, handcrafted. <laughs> if he's going to make cars, this guy's making, like, Bentleys, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. putting these together, things together by hand. So He's the only guy that has, like, I think officially on the website it's 10 years, but he literally says lifetime warranty. He's like... Just because if something ever crazy went down, he's like, I had to put a number, but he's like, I've never had a tank fail ever yet. You know, he's been making a lot of tanks for a lot of years, and he won't be the cheapest, but he will build it. He'll overbuild it, and you won't get any bowing. You won't get any of these traditional crazing problems and all these things, and once you've had a tank blow out, you know what the value is. Yeah. Like, it cost me a lot of money when that happened, and so, like, let's say I have to overpay by 20% for this tank that will never fail you're buying that insurance mm-hmm. policy right from the get-go. That's one time, like, this will never be a problem again. And people, when they see tanks of that caliber, they, when you go to resell it, they're like, oh, no, this is worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, wow, you, uh, you know, like the 800-gallon he built, it's one-inch thick acrylic. Like, I feel like that should be almost an advertisement, like, this was a clear fabrications tank. So I do buy tanks when I see, like, on Craigslist when they pop up, like one in uh, Corpus Oskin's fish room. It was a two-foot cube. I bought it purely because I knew it was made by Clear Fabricators, Inc. I never ended up using it. I gave it to Joel. But the craftsmanship, and it was like 150 bucks. and I know that tank is worth yeah. so much more, yeah. like if you were to buy that thing brand new. Yeah, the uh, when you do a fish room tour of, of my fish room, the instead of having all four walls be um, smaller tanks on racks, I do have a 210-gallon or 220-gallon uh, tank that, eh, I don't know, um, We'll leave it a surprise as far as what's in there right now, but that tank will never go in my house. So it's in the fish room, which is in the garage. So mm-hmm. if it ever busts, uh, the way my garage and house is built is that it's got the you know cement foundation that kind of comes up to about 18 inches on the side, and hopefully all the water will just stay contained in the fish room and then slowly leak out towards the the garage um, the garage doors. Mm-hmm. But I just don't trust having a 210 gallon tank that I bought for 150 dollars. You know that was donated to the club essentially right. in my house like that is just an ungodly amount of water you know ten like a, a five gallon bucket tipping over you know in your house it just amplify that like i i i can't i i would just stress out i've too had much way too I many had. problems with tanks like so another tank i worked when i very first started working uh at a fish store 
I worked for credit and then I used that credit to buy a custom 130 gallon glass tank that was very thick. Again, only like 18 inches tall, six feet long, like two feet front to back. It's kind of a sweet tank, but it started leaking on me. And like when you have tanks that big and the water gets behind them, it's an ordeal. It's several days to like unload the fish, get the water out, remove the hundreds of pounds of sand mm -hmm. or or gravel, then move the stand, then dry it out, you know, and then start making it up to your girlfriend at the time <laughs> of like, you know, you're ruining this rental you're in and like, oh my God, and you've got buckets and tanks and everywhere. And of course you're keeping, at that time, that tank was African cichlids, but, um, you know, so I've had that happen, I want to say two or three times enough where I've, I'm never willing to compromise anything that goes big. I just buy it new and it seems like, oh, it must be nice to buy new tanks. I just know it is cheaper. Like, I know it's cheaper than buying big used tanks that fail on me because I've had to pay that bill. Well, I think I think this is one of those things where if you just save your money, mm -hmm. and if this is something you really want, like, you don't have to be, you know, sure it would help if you're rich, but if you know that you want a big, big tank and if you want to have that peace of mind that this thing is going to be a fixture in your home for decades and decades and mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about... Honey, when, when did I buy that glass tank? Is, is mm -hmm. it due for a reseal? You know, like, it, it, to have that peace of mind, I think it's well worth saving up for a year or two to get that acrylic tank. That's always my so, advice to people is, like, so, you know, I worked at a fish store for a long time. I own a fish store now. And people are always like, well, I'll buy the tank I need when I need it. And my advice is always start putting away 50 bucks a month, right? And pretty soon you're like, oh, I've got three or 400 bucks. And just keep your ear to the ground on Craigslist and the local forum and you'll find that guy like me, like, oh, I just have to move. It's a new house. It's not going to fit in the new house. So here's a great deal if you make it easy on me. Like those deals pop up four or five times a year and you can get this bargain that is, it's a perfect tank, except for the fact that the person that's moving has enough money to buy an even more perfect mm -hmm. tank. And you can totally cash in on that. To me, it's like watching, you need a car. You're waiting for, it's like, Oh, old lady died, kept garage the whole time, 12,000 original miles on this thing? Yeah, yes, yeah. I'm looking for that. And that's typically when you can buy these big tanks. You know, they have been, you know, if I ever sell the 800 gallon, it's been my pride and joy for so long, that's still an amazing tank when the next person buys it. Like, I don't know if I'll ever get rid of it, but if I did, you know, when you start getting into the smaller tanks, like 75s, that kind of stuff, pretty soon it was someone's brand new tank. Then someone else got it. Then it was a reptile tank for a while. Then it was a turtle tank. Then it went back to African cichlids. And it's been through so many moves. That thing is a liability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, like this 210. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it's been through. Mm -hmm. You know, I, there, there's a. You can probably get a rough idea on the age of it. Um, but th there's a, a particular wall in my downstairs um, living room that I want to get a six foot, you know, fairly significant acrylic tank put in there. Mm -hmm. um, have Jason at Clear Fabrications build it for me, and it's probably a couple years away. But I know that actually I need to replace the three original windows against that wall before I actually put this tank in. Mm -hmm. So those windows need to be replaced because there's no way you're setting up this tank. And then it's like, oh, got to get new windows put in. Hmm. Like, yeah. that, like that home improvement project needs to happen first. And then I can even begin to think about actually getting that tank there and start plopping some money down um, for that. And that's a real problem with monster fish. Like I sold an 8-foot, 240-gallon tank to Steenfot Aquatics. And then we found out it was impossible to get it into his house. And so it was, it was to the point where he was getting quotes to pull the window. We'll bring it in through the window. 
And then you realize we can't even do that. He has to break down the entire fish room, bring the tank through, then put the window back, then set it up. And so I'm, I'm actually marginally concerned about getting this 220 out of the fish room mm-hmm. <laughs> because the way I actually, I built a fish room wall around it, right? So yeah. I pushed it over into the corner using a Egyptian style, you know, two by fours on the, on the, nice. the concrete, pushing it by myself. And I mean, the glass on this thing is yeah. three quarter inch thick. It's, it's That's insane. why I hate big glass tanks because they're, God, it's so heavy. They're widow makers. It is they just, so heavy. And you can pinch your finger right off on those things. I've gotten yeah. hurt so many times, whether it's just pulling a back muscle. Like if you work in an aquarium store, you guys all know this. Like the guy that gets his, the guy or girl that gets their uh, tax return and they come and order the Marineland 300 gallon double deep or the Aquion 210 gallon. They're, and they're like, they show up and it's just them. And it's, so it's like, you and one other employee and them, and you're like, this is at least a four-person lift. Like, this is, you know, and of course, they'll be showing up with their minivan where it kind of doesn't fit, so you got to get it off the pallet, and then you're like, don't set it on that seatbelt. And, yeah, And it's yeah. one of these things like, I can't not set it down. My finger's about to explode. Catches on the plastic track with yes. only like a quarter of and it I've inside. I've been through <laughs> too many of those where I'm just like, I never want that in my own home space. The glass tanks, it's brutal. Reminds me of loading safes when I worked at Costco into, into oh, customers' cars. That. That oh, that was nasty. Yeah, that is not good times. So I remember in that video, it seemed like you had a pretty high bio load in that tank. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about that bio load at its peak and then what, what kind of maintenance it took to... You know, to make that thing be a healthy ecosystem for those yes, fish. Yeah, you're gonna get me into trouble. Uh oh. Because I so I used to run two FX5s. Filters. Yeah, canister And a 55 gallon sump. So I ran both those because it was five feet front to back, right? So I ran a four foot sump front to back underneath the mm-hmm. thing. It made sense. Like so, the way the stand was built, there was kind of it was powder coated blue, as this big tubular steel, and there was like three sections. And so, <laughs> I w- on the right hand side. I had this big old sump, and then it was a 55-gallon tank. And then the other two sections, I'd crawl back because you kind of have to, like, hunch down on the tank and you could walk back to get to the FX6 in each section. And then you had to, like, crawl out and nearly die each time. And so, um, but at some point I had figured out, I'm like, I don't know that I need all this filtration. Like, there's big fish for sure, but how do I know that I need these? And I started just removing FX6s, and it turned out that I needed none of them and the sump was more than enough and I ended up drilling that sump for a <clears throat> an overflow so that I could do an auto water change so that's where I learned to rig up we had the washer and dryer out in the garage right mm-hmm. and so I tapped off the hot and the cold line and used a drip emitter so it would change like two gallons an hour so it was changing or maybe it was a gallon hour 24 gallons a day and then that water would overflow the sump and it would go out this like tube out my garage door well you learn real quick when it starts to freeze. If you don't have a giant tube, that tube freezes, and then you just flood your floor. I've done that a couple of times. Like, you get the one, like, that's a mistake. The second time, there's no mercy from the... I think it might have been fiancé at that time, like... You're making me feel so much better about my recent flood. Yeah. You're making me... You have to... I tell people all the time, you have to go through these mistakes so that you know what to avoid. Like, when I'm talking with Dean, Dean gets it because he's just done that mistake. He's like, yeah, I've done that. You know, and that's how you know, like, we're going to make sure we avoid that in the next build. But until, you know, you're thinking like, ah, oh, you know, the water will run. And it's like, yeah, but it's going to freeze and you're not going to watch it and it's going to back up. Well, it's crazy that as it's, you know, 77 degrees, even in freezing temperature, you would think that that would be warm enough exiting that it'd be fine. But no, it, it just, it, it, it does. It happens. It freezes. Yeah. And so you come home and you're like, why is there water everywhere? 
Like at fir- the first time it happened, we thought the the washer had gone bad. I almost had a mini stroke. Like when I came in, I'm like, <laughs> what? Is, what? This doesn't. Yeah. What is this? Yeah, that was. And so every towel uh, in the house had to get wet, you know, and it was a giant ordeal, and no one's happy about it, and everything's got to come off the wall, and now there's rust underneath the stand. Oh and, man. You know, there's just water every. Like it didn't ruin the house or anything because it was in the garage, mm-hmm. but. It was just a mess. Like, you can't just be like, nah, two inches of water's mm-hmm. cool. Like, you have to be like, all that water's got to get out. We got to dry this thing out. We got to make sure, you know, and that's where you learn. You learn working a fish tray. You never put power out that's on the ground or anything like that. Power's always up. Mm-hmm. Just for that, like, oh, one out of every million times, water hits the floor and it's an inch or two. You know, you don't want to start burning down buildings or just electrifying things or just having things break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I will, I will say on this big tank, if I do keep it for a while, and you know, maybe it's when we go to go to China um, to sips. But I do want to try the overfiltration system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that what what do they call it? Like the over overhead sump kind of OHF overhead filtration. That's what they call it. Okay. Yeah, I, I want to try that out. I think that's <coughs> I think that's a pretty cool system. So maybe have that running in addition to the filtration that I already have. Um, I don't know. Like part of me thinks that it's visually appeasing and then the other part of me feels like it's visually offending like i don't i don't know <coughs> like i think if maybe if you, i've also got um um pothos so i've got pothos in several mm-hmm. of the tanks and on this big tank i happen to have uh, some some really nice pothos i went to one of our nicer um you know local nurseries flower world that has a pretty mm-hmm. good selection and so i mean it's a gorgeous plant but i feel like if maybe wrap that around the front and you know really kind of Add a little something extra on there. Well, you know, know, both my big tanks from Jason, I had them build custom OHS. Mm-hmm. And it's because I really like that filtration. And so the tank at the store and the one at home, I discontinued using the one at home only because I, I realized being... So I, I basically took the filtration from a 360 gallon that I've never had a problem with ever. It was like, yeah, I could pretty much do that for an 800 gallon. Thinking like my previous filtration issues, I'm like, yeah, I've always had way too much filtration. Well, I, I learned that the system the 360 gallon has is is good maybe somewhere between 360 and maybe 700 gallons like clearly at 800 it wasn't quite enough and so that just became like okay we didn't made it we made like a 130 gallon sump basically and uh, but i do like that filtration and i i think it it looks cool and because it's not down below the stand I feel like you keep up on it a lot more. You're like, oh, yeah. let me swap the pad out. Let me not have to crawl down in there. I think in our market, though, we just have to get used to seeing it, though. Mm-hmm. I think we're just not we're just not used to seeing something like that. And, um, you know, what, what you do see out there, it's a lot of DIY, so a lot of yep. Tupperware, and it just, you know, the Tupperware shelving systems, and it looks... It is not, while while people may say it's very effective and it gets the job done. It is not you know that's not something you're gonna slap on your display piece. Well, so know. even let's say looks aside, whether you or your spouse like it, I think there's something to be said for whether insurance adjusters like it, whether the landlord likes it. Like if it looks like it's right, it is right. If it looks like, is that just a crazy system you got going that's gonna fail any moment? And you're like kind of like that <laughs> you know so i think looking part part of it is important and being professionally designed does help it's like that's what i keep my sewing stuff in at home when you're using it for your fish tank yeah what's going on here because i've definitely been that guy i you know i did diy filtration on on the the tank in my garage the 305 gallon back before i built that underground or under sump i built an above tank so i built this gladiator rack off to the side and I had this overhead filtration. I had the pump in the main tank, and I'd pump it up there, and it worked. 
But it literally looked like, you know, a 15-year-old science experiment of, like, what's going on in here? Like, now that's a filter, you know, and you spend 40 bucks on it probably because you bought the three drawers from Walmart or Target or whatever it is. Then you're pumping the water, and you, you had to wait for the bulkheads to come in the mail, and you've got this white PVC pipes working, <laughs> and it's kind of a train wreck, but it totally works, but it doesn't look good. You know, it's kind of like that car that is just been in like 400 accidents but runs like a top still you're just like well there's nothing wrong with it like well it looks like an accident you know and uh so yeah by doing all that that makes me appreciate when something is designed well i think that's part of what makes me good at product design is like no i've built the 14 versions of that the diy version and i know you know like a filter sock holder yes you can build it out of four inch pvc pipe and you can cut it and it's a horrible pain in the butt but it will work that being said, you're using zip ties, you're doing all these things, and it's like, there's something to be said for, now I know you go buy that four inch Y, and it costs you 13 bucks at Home Depot, or you can buy one off of like, a Marine Depot type website, and it's 26 bucks. And yeah. it's like, oh, it's made to do it, and it works, and it hangs on the rim, like, why did I waste $13 and years of my life using that piece of garbage when I could have bought it at 27 bucks? Yeah, that reminds me of you know our, our trip that we just had to the wholesaler that while you know I got to see a lot of really cool fish and, and just a, a quantity in one, you know, several buildings but on one property that I've never seen before right at that mm -hmm. scale, um, you know, all sorts of crabs, crayfish, fish all over the place, right? It, the, the amount of hobbyist DIY that was going on uh -huh. in there was so cool. It's like, oh man, I've, I've seen some stuff like that. Or what are they doing? They're using some metal pipe for the, you know, instead of two by fours going across and they've got, yep. okay, they got the, the end kind of bent. They've drilled it into the, the cinder block, the cinder block wall slash frame. Like mm -hmm. this is some serious hobby DIY just on steroids. It's kind of whatever gets the job done. Like mm -hmm. that's at a rudimentary level when you're not open to the public, as long as it'll hold water, it holds fish. Mm -hmm. Like you, a lot of times you go to a facility, you don't realize it, but They'll be using all the styro boxes to breed fish and hold fish and all that kind of stuff. And you're just looking at it going, I just, you know, like, I guess the hobbyist, I think the first time you go, you're expecting, like, yeah, it's going to be like a fish store times like a hundred. And it, and it can't be. Yeah, it like, just can't be. There's, there's no way. And honestly, maybe you would even question that business because to invest the amount of manpower to keep those tanks at a showroom yeah, we're talking outward appearance, right? We're not talking yeah. water quality. We're not no, talking the filtration. Healthy, yeah. We're talking about the, just the outward appearance, right? Y you would need twice your labor force. At least. Just to keep up that appearance for a, for a place exactly like you're saying that is never going to see the public eye. So you, d you do have to get over that a little bit. And you're like, oh, they've actually got meta metaframe tanks in mm -hmm. this facility next to normal you know, 20 longs. 20 longs were extremely common. That was a, that was a very, very common size in there. Um, and this actually just reminds me of uh, the cement, uh, the cement holding tanks that they had. Yes, so I played so, a little trivia on. on so so you walk into this, you know, I don't want to say barn esque, but larger warehouse um, facility where they house? have goldfish or, or whatever it may be, um, and they've got rows and rows of, of concrete um, trough esque kind of tanks. Right, they're you know overflows water system, all that whole stuff. They're they're like end on end or, or however they're stacked. Um, yeah, probably you know, eight foot by three foot or yeah, eight yeah. foot by four foot or something. Yeah, you know, and concrete that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, I've seen concrete feeding and water troughs before for livestock, and it's not unreasonable to, to think this is going to be a rectangle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Corey asks, you know, hey, do you, do you know what those are? I'm like, well, yeah, they're, they're concrete rectangles. Do you know what they're used for? I'm like, I don't know. 
this this application and what what are they what is their original purpose Corey? their original purpose is that's what you put caskets into and you lower like you put that in the in the grave and you lower the casket into that so that it doesn't like come up in a flood and that kind of stuff from what i was so it keeps it that when the water floods like your casket doesn't get buoyant and like come up i think it holds it i think it's actually for zombies could be so yes. zombies can't break through the yep. casket and the cement uh, that's on it and mm -hmm. the six feet of dirt that's above that yeah i looked into it because i i was thinking about opening up wholesale at one time before i went on youtube i thought about being a wholesaler because i thought i was pretty good with fish and then uh, plant storage and that kind of stuff and I was like where are they getting these things and I eventually found someone that would tell me and they were casket like liners as I think is what they're called and uh, if you like most of them are manufactured like down here in Florida and that kind of stuff and they just show up on the back of flat trucks and you just take them off with uh, forklifts and you place them in a place and they hold water and you do have to um um, like soak them because the the pH will go really high from the concrete when they're new. So you end up doing a lot of water change for me the first month or two, and then you can use them for all types of fish. But they just they pretty much never break, never leak water, and they're fairly cheap in bulk if you're relative to where they're being made. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't make sense to ship like two ton casket things across the country, but if you're mm -hmm. Close to the cement plants and that kind of stuff. And it's crazy though. That's one that, that that is one of those things that's so common now. Maybe on this wholesale side of things, that as a hobbyist, a home hobbyist, you don't get to see. But somebody somewhere discovered this, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're driving in their car and they see this flatbed with a bunch of these square rectangles. And like, man, mm -hmm. that would that could make a that could make a good uh, a, you know fish fish pond holding thing for my facility or for my breeding operation, my garage or whatever it is. Or you know they're at a, they're at a funeral for a family member or, or, or you know you know a friend and they're watching this casket get lowered into the cement box. And you know somebody somewhere the light bulb clicked that they needed to use this. I think I learned in the fish it. operation. I think I learned it when I was at Old World Exotics because I was asking, like I was like, how do you get the concrete forms poured? Like I kind of want to do this. Like maybe I want to learn how to make this. He's like. No, you just buy them. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you just buy them. And I was like, oh. And so he told me about, like, some place. And I looked it up. But they didn't have, like, wholesale prices or anything. But it was in Florida. And, like, the more I started looking at that, I was like, oh, massive amounts of places are doing this. Who would have knew? Because they're way cheaper than buying, like, fiberglass totes from, like, Aquatic Eco or something like that. You know? So it just, it makes so much more sense. And, you know, there's, like, rumors of, like, oh, well, sometimes... You know, like a uh, like a, a mortuary or something will bring in a ton of them because they bring them in, they like stack them when they bury people, right? So if you can find one that goes out of business, so there's like a bunch of extra ones. You know, like they don't get used; they either are used or are unused, and they just get stacked somewhere. And so, but I've never seen it. I've always had my eye for them. I don't know what I'll do with them, but you know, they just seem ultra handy. Of like. Check out these eight foot by four foot ponds you can drop anywhere that hold water. Yeah, I just wanna I wanna listen in on that first phone conversation when the hobbyist or the wholesaler is calling up that cement company, that business, to order those and they're like, mm -hmm. What funeral home are you again? Oh no, 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 we're we're Billy Bob's wholesale fish market. Mm -hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Corey. So we hit uh, 42 minutes. We are on milkshake hunt right now. Yes. Uh, in the town of Plant City. It's Plant City, Florida is where we are. We actually are in Plant City, Florida. Plant City, Florida. Straight yes. up. Um, all right. Let's see here. So we're going to we're gonna call the end of uh, Corey Chronicles Volume 2 done. So thank you all for listening in. If you want to hear more. Oh, you're also now the first guest to appear thrice. 
Yes, got to be good for something. Got to be good for something. I mean, I haven't appeared yet, so maybe this will never see the light of day. This is true. This yeah. episode right now. Yeah. Okay. So technically, like, you can't give me that accreditation until down the road. And you're like, you were the third. You're the third first, person that's been first recorded. Third person ever. There you so, go. So so far, you've been recorded, yeah. and then as people listen to this, you will be the third person that has been. Actually... I'm also the most heavily edited for swearing ever. Yeah. I, this is I, this is actually a nightmare, folks. You have through, no idea yeah. how many times I've had to, how many hours I've spent <laughs> editing Corey in his sailor mouth. Have you ever had to edit some stuff out where people are like, oh my god, actually that can't go live? I think there's only been like one or two like f bomb um, f bombs dropped. Uh, there have been a couple where Did I've you had edit the, them out or you let them slide? No, no, I edit them out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I try to keep this a family show. Yeah. I, I can't scare well, the kitties yeah, away. Certain, certain level of standards, Come I guess. Now. I don't Come know the standards, yeah. You barely, you barely pass the standards. Yeah, I bet, yeah. yeah. It's, it, you <laughs> get a free pass because you sign my paychecks. There you go. Um, but no, I mean, I haven't had... No, there, there's, there's only been one episode, so this would be episode 51. Maybe I hold this for a little bit and release something else as episode 51. Anyway, um, in, that, in that time I've been doing this, there's only been one episode in its entirety that I've actually um, re-recorded with a guest, hmm. and that was very early on. Uh, and I think I talked about this maybe in like episode 20 or something, or somewhere in that, that range with another guest, but um, it was I, I just didn't do a good job as, a, as an interviewer, and I felt that I did not do that person justice. And so I, you know, I came begging and groveling to them, you know, please give sure. me a second chance. Please give me another hour of your life to, to record an episode so I can uh, make sure that I ask you questions and I frame things and, and lead you in a good, you know, so I'm being a good steward of your time and, and representing you to the, to the audience. This might be my first paid gig, by the way. Oh, with a milkshake? Yeah, because I demanded. I was like, <laughs> if I'm doing this while I'm driving, you have to buy me a milkshake. Oh, yeah. And he fought it at first because he's on business for me because we're here in Florida for Aquarium Co-op. And I said, oh, no, no, no. If I'm working for you... Then you owe me a milkshake. What he doesn't that, know is I'm going to use the company yeah. card. Because I had to buy breakfast and lunch so he, far. He can't. He can't hear me. <laughs> but I'm going to use the company business card, folks. The Somehow, joke's on I'll him. I'll end up paying for it regardless. <laughs> Somehow I'll end up paying. I know that. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Till um, what was the sign off again? Buy all my. You say buy all my stuff. Buy all my stuff. Yeah. And I. Till next time, folks. All right. <laughs> <laughs>